welcome to this week's Voices in Hyperspace. I'm Damian Smith, aka Legendary Black Lion. I am Nita. I like to paint. Hey, it's Nita. Yes, so uh, before we get into this week's episode, a lot of us have been doing some cool things. Uh, Nita has picked up quite a bit of cool, fun gigs with her painting. I know I'm just throwing this on you, but uh, Nita, can you share with us a little bit of some of your uh, some of your painting escapades? Yeah, I have been um, painting at an amusement park here in San Diego called Belmont Park. I did um, painting there for during Comic Con weekend. I had a lot of fun, and they loved me so much that they invited me back for two months um, for Beachside Fall Fest. That is from September 9th through October 29th. So I'll be spending a lot of time at Belmont Park and also a lot of time with a bunch of preschool kids during the week doing fun crafts and other painty-like activities. Yeah, so the next few months I am going to be quite busy. That is awesome. And Mel has been constantly working on her project she she's a she's an author so um can you tell us a little bit about the progress in your project i am still on chapter 11 um i had to condense a lot of what i wanted to do i i had a plan for my character to be out in space for a while but that's not gonna work so (laughs) i just had to do a lot of other things to help me with my uh, thought process that had nothing to do with the thought process like working out oh yeah i got um, pretty inspired last night i went to a um, a a show by a group called one more time it's a daft punk yeah so that i i got to geek out and dance and it was because it's so like tech and sci-fi inspired um I got inspired, so hopefully, and um, I emailed you guys the, um, well, except for Sunday, I think it's Sunday, the first chapter of the book, if you want to read an enormously rough. <laughs> no, thank you very much. Um, I'm going to get into that once I have a, a few moments to read, but I, I very much appreciate that. I'm excited to take a look at your work. I much y'all think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll definitely share some feedback, but just in general, I'm just excited that we're sharing these projects. Um, this, this, this space is full of creative people and I'm so excited to be able to celebrate with you all. So this episode, this is episode three, season one, episode three of Babylon five. It's called born to purple. And, um, the title kind of gives you a little bit of, a a hint about what, what the show is about. And also this is, uh, because I've watched it a couple of times, this episode does give you a little foreshadowing. So Commander Sinclair is looking for Lando and he finds him in a, in an adult entertainment establishment. That's what we'll call it. And um, there's a really interesting song being played. The only lyrics are set me free, set me free. I, I think it's kind of funny because you, you'll get this a lot in this show where they, they really kind of, go for making um, the music, the background music, a little bit more detailed, more realistic. Later in the season, I'm sorry, is it the same season? Later in the series, they actually have a jazz singer on as a guest. And, um, you know, it's a it's a pretty cool, it's a pretty cool thing that they do to add a little bit more atmosphere to this to the show. Because in a lot of other shows, so cool. I didn't even notice that, but I love it when you know the music has meaning. Yeah, yeah, and and like I said, it's 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 some good foreshadowing. Typically in sci-fi, they just kind of have like some random. I would call it like new age ambient sounds, like some synth crystal background music, and someone singing in like a nonsense language. You know, like a nonsense alien language, but. I think Babylon five kind of avoids that and it just, it just makes it a little bit more relatable, which I think is pretty cool. But, um, so Sinclair is looking for Lando and, uh, Lando is there for, uh, well, a couple of reasons. One, he's been avoiding, um, 
some uh, some diplomatic talks. So if um, if people don't remember, Lando is kind of he's he's kind of in a position where he's an ambassador. He's he's used to having power and privilege, but really he understands that his position on Babylon Five is kind of like a nothing position. So he's taking full advantage of it. He's drinking, he's partying, he's gambling, and he's at this adult establishment and he's looking for a very specific uh, dancer. And what he what he points uh, Sinclair to, he's like, hey, look, this is exactly what I'm waiting for. And it is a beautiful Centauri uh, dancer. Now, we know what the, the Centauri males look like, right? Yes. yes. What, how, how would oh, you... party in the back. Like the hair, yeah, the hair stands up. So what, do, what does the Centauri woman look like? The European definition of beauty. Yes. Also, what about what's what's a what's a defining feature for the Centauri woman? She's bald with a ponytail. Yep, she is smack bald, and I think throughout the rest of the series, that's how you will see the Centauri women. They're bald, and the men have like the flamboyant hairdos, like peacocks. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> exactly. Um, another thing that's interesting, we are also to, introduced to a Narn female. Ambassador Jakar is also, he's with Sinclair, but he's also in this adult establishment. And um, just as he is about to agree with Londo and share a drink, Natoth, I'm sorry, Kodar, Kodar, he, she, she appears just kind of like out of nowhere. And she introduces herself as his new um, diplomatic staff. Now, how would you describe the Narn female? Very much like the male Narn. Just smaller a little bit. Just slightly smaller. Yeah. And, and you know, and because of the actress underneath the makeup, you can see slightly uh, more, I guess you would say more, um, what's recognized as more feminine features underneath the makeup. But they they don't really look terribly different. Yeah, um, they looked very unisex. Yeah, and she's she's also pretty aggressive because a human hits on her and she basically like throws him across. She the bites. Room. Yeah, <laughs> she bites. And in this in this part, I put down my quick notes. Garibaldi is a snitch. He totally that snitched part. out um, everybody in this part. He stays telling on people like, "Yo, mind your business." Yep. So, what what happens is uh, they all, you know, they have these dance, they have this dance sequence, and this is something I'm always always uh, curious about with these different dance performances in these shows because they don't really hire dancers. They have people who do a little bit of gyration, some flares with their hands, and and then you kind of don't see what the dance is, but everybody's up applauding and like oh my god it was so great and wonderful again i would say that's just kind of like a sci-fi trope that's something that that i think started with star trek as well like they just like they have the the dancer but really she's just kind of like shaking her hips kind of to the music (laughs) but but not not really what some of the dancing uh you will see in like later sci-fi like today so um, Lando goes back to his quarters and the dancer is just waiting in his bed. And I think that that is kind of wild. Like they've immediately made a connection and she's, um, she's drawn him in. He's enamored with her. And, uh, and you know, you they do didn't get a feel that she, that they had a prior relationship because he was waiting for her to be on stage. And yes. Yeah, so he was anticipating her. It wasn't. I didn't feel like he just saw her for the first time that time that he was um, watching her. But I think I felt I thought that she was a prostitute, and that's why he was waiting for her because she was the one that he paid for. That's the relationship that I thought they had at first. Yeah, it comes. I will say it. It kind of comes across like that. Just just from those few minutes in the scene and and you have to also you you we kind of make a few shortcuts because he's an ambassador 
He's powerful. He is able to command some wealth so he can, he can, he can do that. And people kind of expect that, right? That's part of the, the, the corruption of people in positions of power, right? We're, we're accustomed to seeing that in our, in our society. So when they depict that, it's like, oh yeah, well, this is what powerful people do. And I think it's done like that on purpose because uh, we're we're setting up Lando to 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 take several turns in this story, and uh, and and you'll see this is a very Lando heavy story, and we'll we'll focus on him a, le- a, a lot more. Now, some of the other characters, there's some really interesting things going on. Garibaldi, he's doing a scan, and he finds out that someone's been sending messages using a restricted channel, and uh, this really annoys him. And so, like I said, Garibaldi's a snitch. So he immediately reports it to Commander Sinclair. And uh, we go back to Sinclair. He's in the waiting room for the council with the ambas- with Ambassador Jakar. And again, they're waiting on Lando. And he's nowhere to be found, right? And at this point, Sinclair is also very annoyed. And... Uh, <laughs> And it is it's funny because there there are a lot of annoying things going on in that scene. Uh, Veer, Lando's diplomatic staff, is sitting there playing a handheld game. <laughs> and he's going to town on that thing, right? And basically Sinclair is like, hey, Veer, you need to go get Lando so we can resume these these negotiations. You know, so we can resume these talks. And they, they send him off. He leaves. And... Uh, Veer leaves, and so does Talia Winters. She she's been around in um, those negotiations, and she explains that you know often those negotiations will tax her because she's using her telepathic powers, and the strong emotions are uh, in any uh, they drain her energy. And I wanted I wanted to ask you all. So since we've met Talia Winters the first time, what impression do you all get of her in this uh, in this episode overall? Because she's she's starting to make a few more appearances. Felt like she's very what is it? Very much wanting to follow the rules, but that's not. There's a word like not noble, but she wants to do good things. Just not in a way that would um, jeopardize herself. Yeah. Like, she, she's... I'm sorry, go ahead. Say that again. She's very loyal to the psychor. Yes. But she's also pretty proud of being a psychic and, and knows what good it can do and believes in, in the good that it can do. But also, like, being loyal to the psychor somewhat puts a limit on what she can do. Mm-hmm. Like the last one, she... She wanted to help, but it was against the rules to help. And this time it was, I, I can only help if it's within the rules. Yeah. And this I, this kind of shows a little bit more of that dynamic that she's actually proactive in her involvement with the negotiations because that's, you know, she, it's her job. And um, Sinclair, he basically emphasizes the importance of wanting to be able to reach this peace agreement to show that Babylon five is actually achieving the goal that it was designed for. Um, but it's kind of interesting too, because everyone that's involved except for Sinclair just doesn't want to be there. And it, it, that just shows kind of like the, um, the overall struggle of approaching these, this, uh, mission of peace through diplomacy is, is like, you you get a sense that the parties involved either don't want to be there, they're they're participating in bad faith, or they're shirking their responsibilities. Like similar to like what's going on with Lando at this point, he's still in bed with the dancer, and this is the first time we actually hear her name. Uh, he calls her Adira, and so now she has a name, which is which is great. What is that? That's like one, one of the, one of the requirements on the Bechdel test. She actually has a name, and I think this episode pretty much fails the rest of it. Do you all know what the Bechdel test is? Was trying to come off the mic to ask, what is that? Okay, uh, the Bechdel test comes from a, um, like a web comic, 
And it, oh, hold on, let me I'm gonna actually pull it up for you. Because it's a it's a really cool tool. It started off more of as a joke, but people have been actually applying it. And it's it's a pretty cool tool of analysis. So the Bechdel test is a way of evaluating whether or not a film or other work of fiction portrays women in a way that is sexist or characterizes uh, or characterized by gender stereotype. Um, to pass the Bechdel test, a work must feature at least two women. These women must talk to each other and their conversation must concern something other than a man. And, um, and I think people have amended it to where the um the work must feature two women who have names and these women must talk to each other and their conversation must concern something other than a man or like the the leading male character in the film and not too many films are passing this because a lot of times they use the the women characters to forward the story and the story is usually about the man so they'll use the woman to talk about the man it's funny it makes me think of Oh, Barbie, my goddaughter just recently saw that and I had no interest. And she reported back about um, how it was all about patriarchy bad. Oh, yeah. I haven't, I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard about it. I'm interested. That actually sounds pretty, pretty interesting. <clears throat> Doesn't it feel weird to be interested? Like, I'm like, ah, listening to her makes me want to watch it, but... It's Barbie. I don't want to see that at all. Like I'm a lose brain sales, but she seemed to describe it pretty well where I think I'll be okay. I mean, it might be a brain cell burner depending on how they address issues uh, in the movie. But I hear they do get pretty deep. I mean, of of all the movies made about uh, video games, toy products, and, and in board games, it seems like they've actually gone towards the um, addressing social is- issues uh, route with this one, which, like well, I said, that, maybe we'll have to go watch it together. Maybe. Sounds pretty interesting. All right. So anyway, while Lando is still laying in bed with Adira, we hear about his lukewarm feelings about his jobs and his pros- prospects as a, an ambassador. He basically feels trapped in his position, which is, I mean, when I first saw this show, I kind of had the sense that, oh, ambassador is like this honorable position. But, the, you know, as I grew up and learned a little bit more about diplomacy and, you know, applied more of what I've learned about that to watching the show several times, I'm starting to realize like, oh, he was given, like I said, he was given this job to kind of keep him under control. Uh, he's at the whims of the empire. He can't really exercise any power on his own. Uh, and so he's kind of just hanging out in in this at the space station waiting to be given orders. And in the meantime, I'm going to drink. I'm going to gamble. I'm going to have fun. Is he somebody's nephew that's out of control? Pretty much. Not like in the show, no. But like he comes across like that. Got it. Yeah. At this point... Lando presents Adira with a charm. He gives her, wait, no, no, I'm sorry. So Adira is laying charm on Lando very thick. She's like, you know, talking about how great he is. And Lando, he gets, he kind of has the feeling like, oh, you care about me for my position, right? But he gets called away back to the uh, council chambers by Veer. And... Then we, um, you know, he finally decides to get up and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go. We go back to seeing now at the command deck, Ivanova is dismissing Garibaldi's concern about someone breaching security and using the unauthorized, using the gold channel unauthorized. And uh, I, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you all about the way Ivanova is behaving in this part, because one, we already, well, I already have my feelings about Garibaldi up to this point. He's a snitch. He's a rat. He's a cop. And uh, Ivanova doesn't enjoy Garibaldi's company in the first place. And so now she's kind of rubbing in his face the fact that he's being eluded. I want to kind of get 
you all's opinion about Ivanova's behavior towards Garibaldi at this point. I feel like she's a cop and then she doing the same thing, just <laughs> not taking like the security threat um, seriously. Uh, just, I think she's the one that he ratted out in the previous episode or. Yeah. She is. Yeah. Okay, he gave so... her up to the telepath. Like, Oh, well she, you can find her at this restaurant after work. Yeah. So it kind of feels like a, a co-worker situation where they are not getting along very well is what I, what it made me think of. And they are two very strong personalities. Uh, in that previous episode, you do get a sense that uh, Ivanova is just this tragic character, right? They're trying to, they're trying, you know, they, they gave her this weird Russian affectation, right? Cause she, you know, her background is Russian, but in this conversation, she's, she comes across, she comes across as annoyed by Garibaldi bothering her about security, but it's, it's, it's something different about the way that she's interacting with him. She's kind of like, she's even helping him. She's like, Oh, let me help you. Let's look at the, let's look at the logs. Let's look at the records. And they're like, Nope, no data breach. And he's like, I could have sworn it was just right there. And she just makes fun of him from that point. He's, she's just like, she 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 starts this running gag of like, oh, maybe it's the gremlins. You know, you got these glitches in your system. You know, you're going crazy. And then she he, Garibaldi runs off and, you know, she kind of smiles like, OK, yeah, I kind of got him on that one. Right. <clears throat> He's you know, he I got rid of the annoying guy and she seems that she feels satisfied with with that. Yeah, um, she really seemed like she was trying to just get rid of him. Yeah. Like, get out of my space. Why are you touching my stuff? Yeah. I mean, Ivanova, I was saying in, in just two episodes, she comes across as she runs a tight ship on the command deck. She got people pretty afraid of her. And the one person who can kind of waltz in whenever he feels like it is Garibaldi. And that has to be very annoying. She He does have to listen to her, though, which is, you know, she, she is his um, superior officer, though. Right. So is his character the kind of person that just walks in just because? As from my recollection, anytime he comes into any space, that's for that's not like his own. <laughs> it's for business. Right. Like it's he's fulfilling a duty. And I wanted to say something earlier about uh calling him a snitch and things, but we kind of glossed over it real quick. Um, no, no, go ahead. Isn't it his job to be concerned about security issues? And isn't his concern about someone using a, uh, uh, what was it called? Confidential, a secret line? Yeah, it's, um, a, um, it's a restricted line. Restricted, that's the word, yes. From my, from what I understand, what his job is, his concern about this restricted line is reasonable and within his duties. So why are we giving him such like derogatory connotation? I agree with that. What I'm, what I'm, <laughs> what I'm calling Garibaldi a snitch on is things that don't uh, pertain to his job, where he's uh, he's given informa- personal information about his coworkers or the ambassadors or whatever uh, when they are trying to be alone or they don't want to be in the presence of certain people, he just easily and freely gives it up. He's like, Oh, you can find ambassador Lando in the, in the strip joint. You can find Ivanova after hours at this restaurant. You know, he kind of puts a lot of people he he puts them in positions that makes them uncomfortable, kind of against their will. And uh and he you know, it it comes across as kind of something for fun too. But but you're right, him being the chief security officer, he definitely should be concerned about the security of the communications channel. But I think he also, I think he also enjoys the concept of knowing things that other people don't 
and that he can be a source of important information on the station. Like there's a certain type of currency for him, social currency for being the the guy that knows. And and it crosses over from his job to personal uh, you know, personal social relations. I don't see it that way. Part of like, the themes with oh go ahead, sorry. Like when I don't know, Sinclair needed to be found for something serious. Mm-hmm. He told so and so where to find where to find him. When the lady was asking for help on on getting like improving her relationship with this other lady, he was like, "All right, well, maybe you should do this thing." And this is where she's at. He's not. I don't see it as him like abusing any kind of information, but really using the the things that he knows. Um, when it matters and for those places where people are going to be that are, I don't know how, how much we want to say public, but it's not like Londo was hiding at the adult establishment. So I, yeah, I just don't see the, the abuse to be calling him a snitch like that, but go ahead, Mel. I thought it was, it's slightly forced that like, Everyone else has a role and the story affects, it shows you and tells you what their role is. Garibaldi hasn't had too many opportunities within the storyline to show that he's really good at having knowledge of things uh, and understanding the people around. So they give him these <laughs> these kind of insequential knowledge to, to throw out without him actually doing any real detective work that has to do with his real job. So that's why it kind of feels like he's crossing a line, even though he's technically supposed to know that stuff. It it feels less like he's actually security and more like he's just nosy. But it, it falls within his job and his, his character design to know this information. But the way they put it out is like, it, he's just, you know, gossiping. <laughs> and then his personality <laughs> doesn't help either. Because everyone else is serious and uh, or diplomatic, and he's the the ninety street cop, so it really feels out of place. It feels like he's just uh, palling around with the boys when I know where so and so is. In conclusion: It's just it just seems a little forced. They don't have any. They have. They could have. They could have really put him in a situation. He could have did some actual detective work and found out where. Um, Alondo uh, was instead of I mean it made sense to send his assistant but that could have been a place where he should have he could have been nosy because it he was supposed to actually be there when he's telling people where um others are and uh, it's not important it's not a part of his job then it just sounds nosy <laughs> I don't I don't nosy for him because what I understand nosy is you are the one seeking information, but he already has it. Like he already knows. So, and from what I've seen, and I don't know, like I could have fallen asleep, <laughs> but <laughs> I don't. I don't see Garibaldi asking people, "Where can I find Sinclair? Where can I find these other people?" It's like he already knows these things, and and I concluded in my mind about his character is that this is why he's good at security because he he knows a lot of things about people. Maybe he just pays attention and knows because like I said a moment ago, Londo wasn't exactly hiding. He didn't sneak his like his his presence in the adult establishment wasn't like off in some corner where there's a dark shadow, you know? So maybe he's just paying attention and other people are not, but that's what makes good security people good security people. They It's attention to detail. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like um, the attention to the detail that they've given him doesn't seem as important as everyone else. So it doesn't feel the same way to some people. Even though his job, because it, it um, he, if something happens... Uh, he would need to know, and uh, at, at a known this moment, uh, 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 
at random. If so, if there was an emergency, all of a sudden there's a, a this, they find out there's a shooter and they're looking for somebody. Like he would automatically already know, which is very important. But I, I just want to know where he is. Doesn't seem as important to what his role is. And then I think the personality just kind of. I think some people see. They might look at his personality before they look at what he's actually doing. You're looking at what he's actually doing. Yeah. But the way he does it seems kind of cheeky. Like, like not as important as everybody. It's the personality that blends with it. That's more of the way that I'm looking at it. It, I agree with Mel that it is more the way that he does it. Because, yeah, um, Nita, you're correct. It is his job to know these things. And we haven't gotten enough... We haven't gotten enough episodes to show how and why he knows things Um, that's going to come across. But it also like what we're seeing in this episode is Garibaldi is thorough and it bothers him when something is happening and he's not sure about it. He doesn't know why it's happening. He and I think in the last couple of episodes, you do see him do some 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 detective work or he uh, you'll see later in this episode. He does um, see de- some deduction to help save the day. And it shows that he's actually good at his job. He's really good at his job. It's just that his personality rubs certain people the wrong way. Right. For, for the moment. And he's another one of those characters that goes through a really amazing arc. And where he ends up is going to be very interesting, but it's very different from where he's starting out right now. Uh, there, there's so much more to learn about him. And just right now, he's coming across like his interaction with Ivanova is more kind of like the comic relief in this part of the story right now. And and then it gets pretty serious later on. So when we get back, back, back to where we are, we, we follow Adira back to her quarters. The lights come on. Someone's already in the in her quarters waiting for her. And it's this. Alien guy named Dracus. He's a truly awful person. Uh, he's basically torturing her. Um, they have they have an arrangement. She is a slave, and he basically somehow got her whatever whatever their relationship is. Maybe she's his slave, and she's using and he's using her to basically uh, infiltrate Lando. And get a get a hold of some personal files. They call it the purple files. And this is where we start to learn a little bit more about Centauri culture and just just kind of like the web that is woven with uh, Ambassador Lando and these talks and some other things going on. He's torturing her with like this shock glove, which, yeah, this is this is horrible. But what Dracus, the information that Dracus is trying to get um, is dirt that Lando's family has been collecting on other families. And what we learn about Centauri uh, culture is everybody's doing this. Everybody is collecting as much dirt and controversy and scandal on each other. And they collect it and they're just waiting for the right time to use it. Lando, and, and it's not just like what one person is Collecting is the whole family, which I think is pretty interesting. This is this kind of kind of sounds like um, it makes me think of on one hand, like Victorian era aristocracy, people who are looking for scandal to do power plays, uh, you know, of one family versus another or one aristocrat versus another to get more land and property, which I mean, the, the Centauri, they're 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 pretty, you know, pompous, right? But um, what we are, what we're seeing is other people have taken notice and they're trying to take advantage of this. And Dracus's purpose is he wants to be able to have this information to uh, sell on the black market so he could basically get rich off. It. it is noted that the Centauri who do not take up this practice do not end up in positions of power and they most likely end up enslaved and i thought that was really interesting so it kind of opens opens a little bit more it sheds a little bit more light on the centauri 
And maybe this is why Londo feels a little bit more uh, trapped in his position too. He's this, he comes across as this fun loving ambassador guy, somebody's uncle as Sunday would say, not, not nephew, but somebody's uncle. And then he has to do this job where he has to get dirt on people just in case he's called on. And, uh, he, he has to keep this information like encrypted. Dracus wants the information because if he, you know, it could take down almost any of the houses in the Centauri Republic. Uh, he also know, he also knows that a Narn would pay a fortune to get that information and that's what he wants. He wants to sell this to someone, to one of the Narn, and he wants to make a fortune off of that. Then he gives Adira a, you know, a really cool sci-fi device. This is the mind probe. And um, she, he tells her, like, you're going to use the mind probe. I know you already know how to use it. And this tells me that they've done something similar before. Uh, I wanted to kind of get get your thoughts on that whole interaction with Dracus. The, the actor basically hammed up that whole that whole scene, but I wanted to know what were your what were your initial thoughts about Dracus and finding out Adira is his slave. It was quite disturbing because um, I am in support of sex work, and when she was looked at as whether it was a prostitute or a call girl or whatever her label might have been to then find out, no, she's like not of her own volition being, you know, forced to do these things. It disgusted me. And then even the Centauri culture at all, like it's one thing that you're all entitled and what's the word that you gave me this morning, babe? Um, arrogant. Um, arrogant yeah arrogant. arrogant but you you also like are aware and just allowing slavery to happen you know under your watch and mm-hmm. instead of doing something about it you're taking advantage of the situation and i know that there's going to be some turn of events later in the episode but it it wasn't giving me any warm and fuzzies about them as a culture as a whole, the Centauri that is. Um, what species is Dracus? You know, I was gonna ask the same thing. He doesn't look like any of the other characters at all. Not in this episode or any other time in the series. So you can be slaved out not only to your own people, but to just anybody in the galaxy. That's what's up. Maybe. And that, that again, that points to kind of like the galactic economic structure. Maybe some cultures practice slavery and some choose not to, but they they're not gonna fight for people who do. They're gonna they're not gonna fight for people who are in slavery. Especially like look at it, they're on Babylon Five. Babylon Five does have like this uh, economic hierarchy. They acknowledge that it exists, but there's nothing happening to address it so there are you know poor people starving people people who resort to violence for you know whatever their situation is on on the station and and then there's a you know there's a whole lot of other things and then i look at this as like they want to uh the writers want to make sure that they can mine some very familiar situations they don't want to think too hard about like why would there be slaves on a space station that is uh that is commanded by Earth, but then again, you know, maybe off screen or at some time in the past there was some treaties that were signed that says okay we're not going to interfere with your culture's economic systems as long as you don't you know attack us or something you know something something like that. We're going to overlook the problems, you know, just so we don't have to fight you for what we believe is right. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm going to pass on that. I kind of felt like it also reflected the idea that, like, they have this vastness of space and knowledge and cultures that they can feed off of and learn, but they still stay in their little holes mentally and physically 
Yeah. Um, because like she did, he she was called his property, but you're going to do this because you're my property. And um, they just kind of respect it and for some reason because that's what they do. Yeah. Um, kind of like they're respecting um, the Centauri owning, uh, what's the other species? Uh, the um, Narn. The Narn. The Narn. Uh, they, they, uh, yeah. they, they, they are currently in position of it, so uh, why should you want it? Like, Right. They, they don't, yeah, they don't see past what is actually, they only see what's in front of them. They don't see past anything. They don't see the the potential of anything. It's just, this is mine. And it, it also kind of shows you kind of how very shallow the politics are. Uh, Earth and the, uh, the, the Alliance of Non-Aligned, oh, well, the Council of Non-Aligned Worlds, they just don't want to fight. They don't want war. So they'll agree to almost anything. Like, yeah, you want slavery as long as we don't go to war. That's fine. Oh, did you encroach on this territory? Hey, as long as we don't go to war, you can just have it. It sounds very UN to me. United Nations, yeah. NATO. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it's, it, they, there's such a teeter. Like, uh, one of the other episodes, I forgot which one it was. Like, uh, I think it was the last one. Where it's like, if, we don't know what this ship is. If we hit it, if we attack it, we could go to war. Right. Like any little thing we do can put us to war. So they're on eggshells all the time, just making sure nobody gets pissed off, especially a people who's as pompous as they are yep. to own slaves, to only have um, their only purpose in life is to have title. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, and to do very little. And that, that was another thing. Uh, that I got from that, like the he keeps talking about how big the Centauri uh, Empire used to be, and how they're crumbling and it's just not working anymore. Like, but you all get your jobs based on being able to, your ability to blackmail other people. So you don't actually <laughs> know how to do your job. How do you know how to get your job if the only way you get your job is blackmailing people? Wow, yeah. that was a good point. All right, so the next scene, Adira, she's meeting with Lando. And this is where Lando presents Adira with a gift. It is a jeweled brooch that apparently belonged to one of the matriarchs in his in his family, one of his ancestors. And it's like this beautiful jeweled uh, brooch, right? He suggests like, hey, you know, let's go out to eat. And she, Adira is like, well, people will see us. What will they say? And Lando, he doesn't care. He's like, look, they'll say that Lando is a very lucky man. So they go out to eat in public. And he's making a big old scene about being with her. He's laughing loud, slamming the table, and everybody sees everybody sees Londo with with Adira. Um, I believe at this point Sinclair also sees her, and it, you know they're they make a statement about how happy he looks. So then and they that, go. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, babe, to interrupt you, but that is just fueling my disgust for his um, arrogance. Because you say that you care about this person and you, you know, want to be seen with them and you're so proud of her, but you're not even in tuned and paying attention to like the material conditions that she's in or whether she's choosing to dance, like because she enjoys it or not. Like even before he knew uh, her position and status in their society, he was taking advantage of her anyway. Yeah. So it, when you do find out, it ain't no surprise. You've been being a jerk this whole time. <laughs> yeah, and he does go into, he goes in depth. He talks about how he feels a sense of emptiness behind the titles and position and the so-called power uh, that's practiced by the, by the Centauri. But he makes a big show of being with her and it could, depending on, the viewer, it comes across as, oh, Lando's out having a great time. But I look at it, it really isn't about her. It's more about him. He's defying convention so he can do what he wants. And she just so happens to be the person that's with him while he's doing that. And she adds a bonus to it because she is a dancer, uh, a sex worker. And so it could come across a scandal, but he's, you know, he's not hiding it. 
So it's it's a public affair. And he's he's kind of like challenging he's challenging the convention is like, okay, say something. What you gonna do, right? His their whole culture just comes off as like a personification of I don't know if you can personify this because it's a personality type. Oh no <laughs> what do you call them? narcissism. Yes. Like, she's narcissistic supply for him. Like, yes. Yeah, I'm not supposed to, but see, uh, like, bet anybody do anything about it because I had this title, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to be shown with this pretty girl because she's pretty and I get to have something pretty beside me because I think I'm ugly. I'm trying to make up for uh, what I don't have. Or um, he, and he does have uh, a power dynamic over her. He realizes that. And I think he, that's why he's with her. It's like, oh, this pretty girl is just going to. Uh, feed into me no matter what I do or say or look like all the things that he doesn't like about himself and I see narcissism all over yeah and and I yeah without giving away too much we'll we'll see that all through Lando's arc Uh, so while that's going on we see that Garibaldi once again uh traces uh a breach in security someone has accessed the gold channel and once again he's not able to trace it uh, he he now goes back to the command center, running several programs. Um, Ivanova's not there at the moment, but he's he's trying to figure out like, okay, so someone is breaching the gold channel. I'm not going crazy. When Ivanova does show up, she's basically talking him through the steps that she would take to try to find it, and so they do it together. Nothing turns up. Uh, Ivanova does a scan of of her own, and it shows. No authorized access to the channel, and then she smirks and looks at Garibaldi again. It's like, are you sure you are you sure that someone is breaching this thing? So we're we kind of got a pattern with these two. She he notices a breach. He tries to bring it to someone's attention. She shows up. Nothing's traceable. So now I'm sorry, but as as an audience member, it's like okay, something's up, and something's up with her. Back at their quarters, I'll oh, go uh, ahead. Quite confusing for the position that she has to not be taking his concerns seriously. Yeah. Like it, it is starting to come. It's starting to feel as an audience member, which this is what good writing does. You start to feel suspicious of her, which, you know, I I think that's, that's done on purpose. And I think it's done well. So now back at Adira's quarters, Lando and Adira, they return from the, from dinner and basically, she drugs him. She uh, drops something in it. She roofies him. I don't know if this is going to be a bad thing to say on the show. But she she slips something in, the, in his drink, and he's out. He's he, he slips into unconsciousness very quickly. And then she grabs the mind scanner, and she gets to work. And uh, before I tell you how I feel about this, I wanted to know how do you all feel about what Adira did and what she was doing in this scene? Because, you know, she was ordered to do it, but I just wanted to get your thoughts. You want to go, Mel? I thought there was a bit of, she did actually concern, was concerned with him. Like, she wanted to be able to do what he's she's supposed to do, because she doesn't feel like she has a choice. But she didn't want to hurt him by doing it. And um, by, I, I felt like by giving him the drink, if he had just drank the drink and passed out, he would have woke up a little more suspicious even though she left the brooch to make it suspicious and left and yeah. didn't say anything. But um, to, I felt like the way that she kissed him as he passed out was a way for her to like make it easier on him when the drug made, took its effect. So she was trying to be caring and um, uh, well, what I want to say. She didn't really want to hurt him, even though it was her job to, to hurt him more than that was that's pride you messing with. He's still in. <laughs> yeah. So so Lando is out cold. And it so I apologize for even bringing this up. This reminds me of a lot of the um manosphere discussions when people in that whole genre start talking about how if a woman drugs a man, isn't you know, isn't that just as bad of as a man violating a woman? And while it is 
I, I say it's bad. It's not the same thing. She kind of pulled a Cardi B. She drugged him, stole some stuff, left. He was victimized in that situation, but it was, you have to think, the way I look at it is you have to look at the um, the power dynamic. Like, Adira was not acting of her own volition. She was, she's basically under threat of violence now. And Mondo being a powerful male actually places him in the position of being the oppressor. And is you you can kind of you can kind of say like okay so a person shouldn't break the law but it happening to him it's kind of like I mean somebody's gonna do it right yeah because he's breaking the law himself like is it legal to be getting dirt in order to get the positions that people are in and everybody want to talk about the law when it's the poor impoverished people doing it but when the rich people is doing it then that's just good business skills. Right. Exactly. That strategy. It, 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 it shines a real highlight on the double standard. And you're trying to hold people who are in the position of the oppressed to a standard that the, the, the oppressor, that the oppressor doesn't hold. It's only the laws are for you and not for me, basically. But we can, we can, go ahead and quickly turn away from that because I don't want to, I don't want to have that discussion on this episode right now. Um, I think there, there, there could be other spaces that will uh, be more appropriate, but I just wanted to just point that out. But anyway, um, she uses the mind scanner and she gets the codes for his purple files, which uh, did y'all catch what those, what the code was? What the code is? Him being pompous. Uh, pretty much. It's like that? wine, women, something like. It's like wine, women, and riches, right? Which is what he uses the purple files to get, basically. right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, oh, poor Lando, you're being drugged and stolen from you, jerk. Who makes their Who makes their password for dirt? The dirt or the the reward that you you know, the reward you're gonna get from it. I don't know. But that, that, again, shows a little bit more of what the character is like. Lando wakes up and then he realizes, like, oh, my stuff was stolen. Because I, I guess whatever the drug is in the mind scanner, it doesn't erase his mind. It just gives her access to it. So she, it seems like he knows what he told her and he knows what she was after. And uh, he runs to Sinclair and he explains, like, okay, my my purple files were stolen. Those files cannot... Oh, he says he cannot file an official report because if he does, it will get like uh, the officials from Centauri involved. And so in his uh, it, it could cause so many scandals uh, that it would compromise his career. So he's more. Cons- who he was having that conversation with. That wasn't Garibaldi. That was the other guy, right? Sinclair. Yeah. So. Yet again, another situation where, I don't know, I felt like it compromised Sinclair to hear this and then use it to his benefit instead of, like, recognizing that, yet again, this alien uh, civilization that y'all are trying to coexist with is on some BS. Yes, but, I mean, and Sinclair... His position is, well, I'm going to try to prevent conflict at all, you know, what, you know, any means necessary. Right. So he's going to keep his mouth shut. He's going to he's going to help the ambassador so he can so he can get the ambassador, you know, coax him to go finally go to these um, to these treaty talks. Right. And in fact, I think that's what he that Sinclair was trying to talk to him about. He's like, "Hey, we really need you." He goes, "Look, look, look. I'll." Uh, Lando's like, "Look, I'll go, but here's my problem. I need you to help fix my problem before I do anything for you." Right? This is diplomacy, and, and Sinclair's like, "Okay, cool." In the meantime, Garibaldi finally catches who is using the gold channel, and it is Commander Susan Ivanova. And what did we discover she was doing when she was breaching the gold channel? Wasn't she talking to her pops? Yes. And he was dying, yeah? Yep. 
And he probably wished he had a boy, but if he had a girl that grows up to try to be a boy for him, I could be exaggerating that part. Yeah. So those times that the um, channel was being breached, she was accessing his hospital room or whatever. I, I guess he was in hospice. And um, we once again get an extremely tragic scene with Commander Susan, uh, Lieutenant Commander Susan Ivanova. Her her father gives his last words and pretty much dies on on the on the screen. Now, Garibaldi sees this and he's like, "Oh," but it is it's, it's two things. One, he's like, "Okay, it's Ivanova," but then he also sees like this is a very special situation, and he doesn't confront her at first. We, we switch back to Sinclair. So the situation is <clears throat> Lando and Adira are trying their hardest to find. I'm sorry. Lando and Sinclair are trying to find Adira. She's, uh, she, you know, she's gone to ground. They don't know where she is. Uh, they first go back to the uh, strip club and they are asking around like, okay, how can we find Adira? And um, basically, what was it? Lando offered a lot of money to find find her and then everybody decided they were going to speak up and uh at that point they learned that she was in the alien sector so she didn't go straight back to Dracus. she she went into hiding and i think she was afraid for her life she knew that okay if i if i share these files with Dracus, either Dracus is going to kill me or lando or one of the other centauri are going to kill me so she's hiding for her life and it turns out that Dracus is actually listening in on this conversation, and he sends his guys in to find Adira as well. Do you all have any thoughts on what happens here in this point? No. It's pretty, like, forward. There's nothing to really analyze, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of where it's like the chase, right? We, we have the bad guy is looking for the girl. The good guys are looking for the girl. And she's she's in a in a desperate situation, right? It does kind of fall into that sequence that the the, the '90s TV show sequence oh, where yeah. you have to have like the the upbeat part right before the closing, right before they conclude. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a uh, and it actually you know it it does show a little bit more of like people doing their jobs, right? People are listening in. They're doing a little detective work. They're doing the chase, but uh, it's it's one of those things that um, it, it's it's very much part of the formula. You know, the, it it becomes it feels a little bit procedural. One moment. So next, um, Sinclair and De- they don't want any harm to come to Adira, so they decide to set a trap. And this is what happens. Sinclair he speaks to Jakar, and he tells him that there is some merchandise that would have to give him a lot of leverage in negotiations. And Jakar is like, oh, okay, cool. I will make sure that, you know, we can, uh, we can get our hands on that. Uh, he says that EarthGov wants, to, wants a compromise, and they know that the Narn will show gratitude. You know, the gratitude is worth the price. He also offers to give Talia Winters like her services to verify uh, the honesty of like the authenticity of the, of the merchandise. And so Jakar's like, Oh yeah, yeah, sure. That's great. You know, whatever you need, but this is where they set the trap. Dracus is going to meet to make the deal. He's the one he, you know, he's going to try to swoop in to, you know, to figure out uh, what this merchandise is. Because, because, uh, surprise, surprise, Jakar is the one that helped Dracus smuggle things onto the station. By the way, you know he's showing his treachery again. When Jakar meets with Dracus to make the deal, Dracus is surprised that a telepath is present. He's like, "Wait a minute, I don't want anybody fumbling around in my mind." And she goes, "Hey, don't." Uh, Talia goes, "Hey, don't worry. Don't worry about anything." Don't think about anything that you don't want me to know. And then she straight out says it. 
like, for instance, the location of where Adira is right now. And uh, at this point, Dracus is surprised. He, of course, cannot help but to think about where she is. And that's when um, Talia reads his mind. Sinclair then dispatches security to go to the location. And, you know, Dracus tries to run. Londo intercepts him, does the great one punch, the, the sci-fi show one punch, knocks him out. And um, they save Adira. Um, at this point, this is what I this is what I think is hilarious. Londo thanks Jakar for helping him save him from the horror of the Centauri Republic, and Jakar is just like steaming mad. He walks off frustrated, and uh, and he 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 just can't believe that he helped his enemy, you know, save himself. This again shows the dynamic between those two, which I think is starting to shape up to be pretty great. Garibaldi, he runs into Ivanova and he shares with her, hey, you know, I uh, think I found out what was going on with those uh, data breaches, those uh, breaches of the gold channel. And he th- and she's, you know, oh, wait, but he's he says like, yeah, I, I think I, I know what happened with uh, those errors, but I fixed it now. And he goes, I don't think it will happen again, will it? And she goes, nope, it won't. And it's just. This is where I think Garibaldi and Ivanova are coming to kind of like a like a common understanding of each other. At this point, we're seeing we're seeing Ivanova is willing to bend the rules in her favor, but she's not trying to put anybody at risk. And Garibaldi knows about it and he's not going to rat her out. So I will say I will admit Nita, you are correct. Garibaldi is not a snitch. So now we're coming to like the the overall conclusion of the episode. Adira and Lando meet in the docking bay. Um, Sinclair has persuaded Dracus to set her free, so she's no longer a slave. He give Lando gives her the family heirloom and tells her to wear it proudly as a free woman. You know, she apologizes for hurting him, but simply. He he just simply simply asks her to come back someday, and she says that she will, and she waves goodbye. So overall, we have a pretty happy ending for Adira. She is no longer a slave. She gets a nice pretty brooch, and she gets to get off the station happily ever after. What would you? What are what are some of y'all overall thoughts of the episode and and the end the ending for Adira? It- it is nice that through all of the corruption, you know, she was rewarded in the end um, or granted her freedom in the end. But even before what you just summed up for us, he was like, you could stay. And it's like no sense of understanding or appreciation of like the trauma that Um, a slave and forced sex worker must have endured that you think that you are now or ever could be a compatible partner for her. And when you're like, wear this in remembrance of all the bullshit that we put you through (laughs) and hold it, like wear it as a chain that is going to like be a, a, what is it? A zip lead that's going to yank you back to me in this position again one day. Mm. And her response, like, yeah, sure. No, that's just what victims do to like get through to the next day. She ain't coming back, fool. You're not never going to see her again. I'm done. Yeah, the um, attachment style type thing. He thinks that she she's um, that she belongs to him. I, I agree. I very much agree. And And she's just she obviously has the trauma responses, but yeah, just agree with the fool and move <laughs> on. Like, I recognize all those behaviors. Right. And it makes you think, okay, she's free, but she's Centauri. So where is she going to go? Is she going back to Centauri Prime? Is she going to go to another colony? Or will she um, mingle with other aliens for the time being? You know, it is kind of vague as far as like what she actually does with her freedom. And we, you know, we got a little bit more information about 
the obsession with power and positions that the Centauri Republic is. So, you know, how different is her life going to be now that she's free? I think it is going to be different because she still has to deal with those power struggles just from a different perspective. In order to get anywhere in life, she's still going to have to go steal information from people, which is what she was doing as a slave anyway. So for this time, she actually has the opportunity to benefit from it. Mm-hmm. But none of that is good. In any scenario, society is good. It really did define uh, what Centauri culture is like how they work. It, it was a nice mm. way of playing in storyline what their culture was all about, but yet again. It yeah, is. cool. All right, any final thoughts? It was my favorite episode yet, um, and I'm so glad that we were able to go over it today. Some of my favorite topics are popping up in this episode, and when you were like, we're going to put a pin in that and talk about it later, it's like, yes, okay. So this isn't like a a one-off kind of situation. This theme is going to run throughout the show to give us more depth to discuss those things in the future. Like between both stories that were going on that were very, very separate, they both had the theme of, I'm going to break the rules for me. And in one theme, it was very selfish for them to break the rules for themselves. But in uh, the case of Garibaldi and Vonneva, her breaking the rules and him breaking the rule by not snitching was them breaking the rules for something positive, allowing her to, you know, speak to her father for the last time. Yeah. Nice little balance between the two. Like, I'm going to use my power to to reach out to my family in a loving way versus I'm using my power to keep my status. And that also is reflected with Sinclair. He, he basically says, hey, um, Earth Central wants us to do anything we can to avoid war. And so he allows quite a, quite a bit of flexibility with the ambassadors and with his own staff to achieve that goal. So it's a lot of rule breaking, but it's for this one objective that will allow for uh, the crew to achieve their goal for the, for the station to achieve its purpose. And I think that could be the reason why Sinclair was a, was the ideal person. He wasn't very strict, even though he is all about protocol. He's more about the letter of the law. I'm sorry. He's more about the meaning of the law versus the letter of the law. So he's, he's given flexibility that shows his confidence in his staff to do the right thing. And it also shows, like, the type of leader he is. Uh, We will see more of this style play out through this season. And I'm excited to share it with you all. So uh, I'll say thank you all for joining us for this episode of Voices in Hyperspace. I'm going to sign off. This is Damian, a.k.a. Legendary Black Lion. I'm Mel. Mel's Sorry. I'm Mel's Asylum. Um, um, I'm Nita and I like to paint great this is Sunday good night y'all all right thank you all very much and we'll be looking for y'all next time bye <laughs>